Lifestyles of the rich and famous. If you're online, don't change the channel. This is uh, actually uh, New Hope Kailua. And uh, this morning, we are looking at uh, a parable of Jesus. But you know, um, it, the, our series is not Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Our uh, series is um, Haumana, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to be an apprentice a learner, a pupil of Jesus. But did you know that Jesus actually had a television show? You may not have known that. Uh, and I see David, my production friend, I just said this morning, who's here from California to do production. He didn't know that Jesus, they're called parables. They're called parables. That's we're kind of Jesus' version of a television show. He told stories, but verbal stories, not visual stories, right? And Jesus has a television show called the lifestyle of the rich and foolish. Not the lifestyle of the rich and famous, the lifestyle of the rich and foolish. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus in this parable actually has God calling a person a fool. Now think about that for a moment. That's pretty serious stuff. I mean, yikes. Uh, I hope that's not you. Uh, I hope that's not me. Uh, I hope that uh, when God looks at your life or my life, he wouldn't say, what a fool. Um, that's pretty serious business. If God calls you a fool, I mean, on earth, if, if a person called me a fool, I'd say, well, they're ignorant. They don't really know what they're doing. Or maybe they have an agenda. They just want to attack me or something. I can deal with But if God calls me a fool, <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. And uh, he sees all things. And he doesn't have an agenda for our lives, any other agenda but love. So if he says uh, about any person, what a fool, we ought to pay attention to that. Why would God call someone a fool? And um, what would Jesus learn about the life of following him, the life of discipleship, out of this television show, The Lifestyle of the Rich and Foolish? We're going to see that this morning. So let's read together from Luke chapter 12, because this is where Jesus shows his television show. He tells his parable. And if you have your own Bible on a device or a, um, um, imagine a paper Bible, <laughs> a book Bible, whatever Bible you can read is great. And it'll come up on the screen. But we're going to see in this story and the setting, catch this, is very significant. The setting of Jesus showing his television show, if you will, is a family squabble over an inheritance. Oh my goodness. If you want to see where people's real values come out, um, it's when family inheritances are up uh, for grabs, sadly enough. But that's the scene in which Jesus tells his parables. So we'll read from Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> There's a squabble over the family inheritance. And Jesus replies, this, this struck me this last week, man, who appointed me a judge? or an arbiter between you. Now, what struck me about that is, as we know, um, 
Jesus at his second coming is coming as the judge of the universe, the worthy judge and the king, and he will judge all things. But in this case, he's saying, I'm not your judge here. He's coming to judge everything, but at his first coming, he shrank back from even judging a family inheritance. It's just an interesting observation. He is the ultimate judge, and he is the ultimate king. But what he does is he takes this uh, teachable moment, if you will, to teach us disciples, us haumana, us followers of Jesus, uh, something really, really important in the life of following Jesus. So he says, man who appointed me judge, then he said to them, watch out, be careful, be on your guard against what? All kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. What? Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. What? Jesus, in one comment, is blowing away the entire American dream. The entire American dream is what? Get rich, make as much money as you can, buy all the stuff you can, accumulate all the wealth you can, and live the good life. Drink, eat, live for pleasure. That's the American dream. And Jesus says, your life doesn't consist in the amount of your possession. <laughs> he blows the entire thing away in one comment. And then he tells his parable, or if he will, he shows us his television show. The lifestyle of the rich and foolish. Listen to what Jesus says. He tells them this parable. The ground, the fertile ground of a certain rich man. Yield an abundant harvest. And this rich man, blessed by the fertility of the ground, what is he? He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, light goes on, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. And there I will store my surplus grain, all the abundance I have. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. You're financially secure. Live the good life. Live a self-indulgent life for your own pleasure. But God said to him, and this is the tragic part, you fool. How foolish. What an idiot. Ouch. Can you imagine God saying that about, hopefully not you, hopefully not me? He says, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. It's an accounting term. There will be an accounting, and your account will be drawn in and examined. Your very life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. <laughs> but is not rich towards God. So... What is it, why would, would, would God call this man a fool? What is the lifestyle of the rich and foolish? As I study this story, I see five failures of the foolish that we need to learn from. A handful of failures of the foolish that to leads to God saying to this man, to this woman, what a fool. Okay, here's the first one. A fool fails to realize his prosperity or her prosperity is from God. Jesus says the, the fertile ground produces this abundance. But there's nothing in this man. He totally disregards the source of that prosperity. Who made the ground fertile? 
Who created the seed? Who gives the miracle of life where that seed becomes a sprout and then a stalk and then a harvest of grain? Who's behind the miracle of life? None of that recognized by this man. He totally dis he he doesn't realize his prosperity is from God. Whereas a follower, a fool disregards the source of blessing, the source of prosperity, whereas a follower recognizes a Christ follower, a Haumana, a disciple, recognize the source of prosperity is from God. And all of the scriptures teach it. I've just given you one verse there. As Moses, under the Holy Spirit, says, Remember the Lord your God. Remember this, Israel, when you go into the land. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It is God is the source of all prosperity. And just one other verse, because again, this runs throughout all of the scriptures. But Paul says, What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have in your life that you did not get from God? Who gave you the skills to make a good living? Who gave you the education? Who gave you the family background? Who gave you the financial opportunities? Who gave you the health? Where did you get anything that produces wealth in your life? Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And the follower recognizes, I've been prospered by God in a multitude of different ways from various different ways that he can bless me, but all prosperity comes from God. The fool totally doesn't get it. God's out of the picture. He just sees the physical forces around him, if you will. So, be a wise person, be a follower, and recognize the source of your prosperity. Number two mistake, failure of the fool, if you will, is that he or she fails to realize his identity, this is profound, as a manager. This fool actually thinks he owns something. If you read the story, it's my crops and my barns and myself and my, my, my. He thinks he's the owner of this stuff. But when his account is called, he doesn't own any of it. Uh, uh, it's well said that, that, you know, when you go to your funeral processions, nobody has a U-Haul behind the hearse. You can't take anything with you. You leave it all here. You're not an owner. You're only a manager. And Jesus teaches that. And again, just one verse where Jesus says, uh, Jesus tells the story, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Whose wealth? I didn't hear anybody. Whose wealth? God's wealth, his wealth. Jesus is in this story. He's the one who goes through this, and he entrusts his wealth to others. You and I are only managers, and uh, we're just entrusted with the stuff of this life, the material possessions of this life, but we take none of it. We don't own anything. There's only one owner in the universe, and that's God. He created it. He owns it. He entrusts stuff to us during this life, but the fool doesn't get it. He thinks he's actually an owner. It's kind of like the, the, the uh, Monopoly game. All of us have played Monopoly, right? My family quit playing because I always won. <laughs> and, uh, and it leads to some family conflict. But you know Monopoly, you start and they dish out cash. And you get cash. And then you go around the board and you hopefully stay out of jail and you buy Park Place and you buy Illinois Avenue and, and you put a house on them and you build a hotel. But guess what happens? You don't own any of that stuff. You don't own Park Place. You don't own Illinois Avenue. And at the end of the game, everything goes back in the box because you're not an owner. And that's this life, friends. The, the, the Haumana of Jesus realizes, I'm not an owner. I'm just a steward. I'm just a manager. I'm just given some stuff to manage for a period of time. And yes, the day of accounting will come with what I do with that stuff. Number three, this is the failure of the fool. He fails to realize the purpose of his life. This is huge. 
He says, I'm just going to accumulate, live the American dream, have plenty of possessions, take my security and my wealth, and live the good life, eat, drink, and be merry, live my own self-indulgent pleasure. Nothing about God in the picture, nothing about caring for other people, but we know Jesus teaches us and all of the scripture, what's the purpose of our life? It's to love God, to serve God, to love people, to serve people. That's the purpose of our lives. We've seen that over the Haumana series. This guy get nothing about, it's all about him and his possessions and his self-indulgent materialism, which is the American way. I'm not trying to bash America. I'm just saying Jesus totally blows away um, the vision of the American dream that so many people live by. Jesus is calling us to a new path, a path of discipleship, something that goes way beyond a country, something that goes way beyond this life, something that's of eternal value. Number, so that's the third failure. He, the, uh, the fool uh, totally misses the purpose of his life. It's not about self-indulgent uh, living. It's about loving God, serving him, loving people, and serving them. Fourth failure of the fool is this. He fails to realize, she fails to realize that wealth is a false security. He thinks he's secure. He's got plenty for the future, and yet God says to him, I'm going to call in the account today. You didn't expect it today. And uh, yes, this doesn't teach that we shouldn't have a savings plan, that you, we shouldn't plan wise for our, our future uh, because we don't know when Jesus is coming back and, and we don't know when we'll be taken from this life and we have family depend. So it's not speaking about that. It's just saying this, that uh, a fool finds their security in their wealth. Nobody should find, it's the fool who finds security in wealth because that wealth can be gone in a day. Uh, you can get a bad doctor's report, you can have a heart attack, you can be in a car accident, and it's done. And there's no security in wealth. Um, there's security in God. The, the wise person, the follower of Jesus, recognizes there's only one place to find true security, and that's in who God is, and ultimately in our relationship with God through Christ. That's true security, so that whether we're called home today or next week or 20 years from now, um, our security is in Christ. It's not in wealth, it's not in anything in this world. This person is a fool in all of these different ways. Fifth way uh, we see a fool operating here. The fifth failure of a fool is she realizes, he realizes, uh, does it, uh, fails to realize where true treasures can be stored. Where true treasure, he's storing them up on earth, building bigger barns. Jesus said, don't store up, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, don't store up treasures on earth, don't accumulate wealth for this life, store up treasures in heaven. There is actually a way to store up eternal treasures. And um, the fool thinks it's just about this life. And Jesus is saying, no, this life is just the training camp for the real thing, and that's eternal life, that's the world to come. And so, yes, he thinks he can store up treasure on earth, but Jesus is saying, there's only one place you can store up true treasure, and that's in heaven. And all of these ways, this fool, this person that God calls a fool, shows failures. And there's lessons in it for all of us. But what Jesus says is, don't live the lifestyle of the rich and foolish. Don't live like this man in the television show. Live your life rich towards God, generous towards your creator, in loving adoration of the one who loves you with an eternal love. How do you do that? Well, Jesus doesn't teach us in this passage specifically, but 
let me share with you three things from the scriptures that show how mana, disciples of Jesus, how we live our lives rich towards God. The lifestyle of the rich towards God, not the rich and foolish, but the one who is generous towards God. The, the man, the woman who live their lives in generosity towards God. Here's the first one. Give God the first of your paycheck. Give God the first of your paycheck. Again, this runs throughout the scriptures. It says in uh, Proverbs, sort of nails it, honor the Lord with your wealth. You can actually give honor to God with your wealth. With what? The first fruits of all your crops. Now, your crops is your paycheck. Um, in Israel's day, they were in agriculture. And they, they didn't get cash. They didn't get money. Uh, they didn't get a paper paycheck. They were agri So payday was harvest time. That's when your payday came in was harvest time. And at the harvest time, you were to give God the first of your harvest, the first of your paycheck. Why? Why would God call his people to give them, to give him the first of their paychecks? Two reasons. Number one is it honors him. It's an act of worship. It recognizes just what we talked before, that he is the source of life. He is the source of prosperity, and you're recognizing his position in your life. He's the one who blesses you. He gives you life. Everything you have comes from him. And when you give back to him the first, you're honoring him because throughout the scriptures, you always give him the first and the best. You dishonor him by giving him the leftovers, right? If you, you spend all your money, then whatever you have left, you throw in the pot. That's not honoring him. When you give him the leftovers, what honors him is when you give him the first and the best because of who he is. It's an act of worship. It's an act of honoring him. And, um, and it's an act of faith at the same time. We saw last week, Jesus wants us to operate by faith. And so when you give him the first of the months, you say, I'm trusting you. And this is with a harvest. You give him the first of the harvest. You trust the whole harvest is going to come in and you'll have enough to pay your bills the rest of the month. You're operating by faith. You're saying, I'm going to give you the first, and I'm going to trust you that the full harvest will cover all of my needs. For so you're acting in faith because you haven't received that yet. You haven't received the full harvest yet in the agricultural terms. But when you give him the first fruits, you're acting in worship, you're honoring him, and you're acting in faith. And can I just say this? Because I don't say... Uh, statistics show in the church of Jesus, in the evangelical church, half of the church doesn't give anything. And that, that just says we need to d develop more disciples. We need to teach and encourage. Because if you're giving God nothing, <laughs> then you are not honoring him. And, um, and we're all called as his disciples to give him something, to give him and from the, our first fruits. Give him the best. Give him the first. And thereby we honor him. Thereby we, we walk in faith. And, and we're living rich towards God as his disciple. The second thing is very important too. So give the first of your paycheck. Secondly, give generously. Give generously. Jesus teaches that. Jesus says, remember this. Or he says, give. Jesus says, give. This is in Luke chapter 6. And it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He says, give generously, because God wants to give generously. And can I just say this? This is not... Um, um, uh, 
forget the name of it. I didn't think about saying it earlier. But when you give to get, uh, and that's sometimes taught. You know, you give generously because you want to get generally, uh, generously. And there's sort of a, a name for that doctrine. It'll come to me probably after the service. But this is about recognizing that God wants generous hearts. And out of his response to those generous hearts, he will continue to be generous. But Jesus says, give generously. And Paul reminds this, the prosperity gospel. Well, it didn't take till after the service. The prosperity gospel. You know, give so you'll get a lot back. It's all about you and what you can get. That totally misses the point of Scripture. The point is you give out of love and adoration and appreciation to God. And then because he's generous, he uh, will take care of your needs generously. Your motive is never self uh, accumulation, self-indulgence. This is what I need to do to get from God. It's always to give to God because of the wonder of who he is. So Paul says this, and he reminds us of this principle of giving generously. Sowing and reaping. Whoever sows sparingly, just a few seeds, will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will reap generously. So here's the key question. What does it mean to give generously? And I'd suggest to you there isn't one right, correct answer um, if you have a single parent raising three children and trying to pay rent and food in Hawaii, and that single parent gives 1% of their income, that could be really generous. That could be sacrificial. That could be, I can't afford that expensive coffee at Starbucks. I have to go without something in order for me to give 1%. 1% can be generous. I know, uh, not personally, but I know of a businessman who he reversed tithes. Rather than give 10%, he gives 90%, and he lives on 10%. Now, he lives quite well on 10%. He happens to have a, a, a substantial income. But nevertheless, he's not living like a fool. He's uh, giving, not, and I'd say that's pretty generous. What's generous for you? I don't know. What's generous for me? God knows. He looks at our hearts. It, it depends on your financial condition and what other responsibilities. We all have other financial responsibilities, care for our families, pay the rent, pay the mortgage, all of those kinds of things. God knows what's generous in your heart. But here's the point. Give something. Give generously. Jesus, you remember when he's in the temple, he sees the woman, the widow, she has two copper coins, a matter of, of a few cents. And uh, he, come in, he sees her put that into the offering, and he says to his disciples, hey, get over here, guys, take a look. That's a woman of faith. That's a woman who pleases, pleases God. She just gave a few cents, but he saw her heart of generosity. And, um, and that's what he cares about. He cares about not how many zeros are on our, our checks. He cares about generosity and what's going on in our heart. And so number one, how do you live uh, rich towards God? How do you live generously towards God? Number one, give the first of your paycheck. The scriptures teach that. Number two, give generously. Figure out in your financial situation what's generous for you. What can you afford to give God? Uh, uh, what can you afford not to give God? Because the third you know, part of that, again, is, is how he will bring his blessing into your life. But don't miss this. If you don't, don't get anything else this morning, please catch this. When it talks about a life of following Jesus, a life of honoring God, a life of being rich towards God, this is the most important thing. It's point three in your notes. Give from a grateful heart. <laughs> Give from a grateful heart. This is not about a church finance campaign. This is not about a worthy cause. It's not about charitable giving. This is not about, you know, 
It's about, the whole scriptures is about giving to God from a grateful heart. God doesn't need our money. God desires our heart. He's the creator. He already owns everything. What he cares about is what's going on in our hearts. But our hearts are reflected in our giving. Um, Jesus says that. And so look at some of the scriptures. Even uh, before Jesus came, what did the prophet says? God says, I desire loyal love. Not the gifts, the sacrifices, the animals, the grain offerings. He's looking for hearts of love. He says, the knowledge of God, that's a relational knowledge with God. That's honoring him in your relationship with him. And rather than the gifts, the burnt offerings, the animals. From the very beginning, God was interested in people's hearts. And um, that runs throughout the scriptures. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, what? There your heart is also. I'm, I'm, Jesus, I care about your heart. But your heart is shown in, where, in your giving. And uh, can I just say again, if you're learning to give, if maybe you haven't been giving at all, uh, this is a great time to start. Not because of a message or a church campaign or financial need or, or a worthy cause. Or, no, just simply because Jesus is worthy of following as your leader. And he's the one who says, give generously and watch God bless your socks off, okay? Where your treasure is, God, Jesus is interested in your heart. Uh, when we look at this passage in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the Macedonian churches who are being commended by the Holy Spirit through Paul for their generosity, for their being rich towards God, it says about them, they gave themselves first to the Lord. <laughs> when they gave their hearts to the Lord, their finances came with it. And they were, they were in a situation of poverty. They weren't wealthy people. But all of this is just a reflection that God cares about our hearts. He doesn't care about the size of our gifts. He cares about internally what's going on. And he says, each of you should give. How should we give? Well, because the pastor laid a guilt trip on me. Or because the Bible teaches. No, because not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not under obligation. But how does, for God loves what? What does God love? A cheerful giver. A reflection of their heart, an adoration, an appreciation, a gratitude, a love. That's what God is looking for in our giving. That's what a haumana, a follower of Jesus, does. And one final verse there, I uh, had several from that passage. Thanks be to God. This is the context of, of giving to the Lord for his what? For his indescribable gift. He's given us Jesus. And it's out of adoration and appreciation and gratitude and love that we give back to him. Now... If I can uh, help you understand this from something very simple. I brought my number one t-shirt to show you this morning. I know you're impressed. Uh, it's not really my color. Do you know this t-shirt is over 30 years old? I don't wear it anymore. It's too valuable to me. If I took this to uh, Goodwill or took it to Salvation Army and sold it on consignment, what would it be worth? Maybe 25 cents, maybe 50 cents. They might be able to sell it for a buck. And I'm going to go to my deathbed with this shirt. I will never let this go. I wouldn't think of selling this T-shirt. You know why? Because over 30 years ago, when my eldest son, Stephen, was in fourth grade, I'll never forget that day. He came on fourth day. It was Father's Day. And his school project at school was to make a T-shirt for Dad. And it's a little bit off-centered, but you can see that actually is a fish. They took a fish. They put colors on it. They put... And I will never forget my four-year-old son coming in that door. He burst in the door. Joy was overflowing. His eyes were filled with joy. And he had a gift for his dad for Father's Day. And, uh, Dad, 
I made this specially for you. This is just for you. This is for you, Dad. I love you, Dad. You're an awesome dad. And he gave me this gift. Now this, I've had plenty of t-shirts over the years. It's not worth that much money. But the price of this, because the heart of a little boy who loves me, who loved me then and gave me a gift, this is priceless to me. And that's why it stays in my drawer. I've thrown out tons of t-shirts. Never would I throw out this t-shirt. Do you understand what God is saying? He loves his kids and he doesn't need our t-shirts. He doesn't need whatever we can give him. But when we give him a gift... Uh, out of appreciation, out of adoration, out of gratitude, when he sees that heart and that joy and that cheerfulness, that's what matters to a dad. And that's exactly what the scriptures say. So how do you live rich towards God? You give to him out of a grateful heart of gratitude. Whatever amount is insignificant, but he sees your heart and he sees your joy and he sees your cheerfulness and he sees your gratitude, and that's what brings blessing to the Father. And so in all of those uh, ways, we want to encourage one another to be those who live the life of Haumana, who give out of grateful hearts, who live rich and generous towards God because, because of the, the, the response of our hearts towards him. Final thing, and then we're going to celebrate communion before we close this morning. Uh, Jesus says, don't live the lifestyle of the rich and foolish. Live the lifestyle of the rich toward God. And we've seen ways we can do that. But when we do that, just know that we're giving to the most generous one. He wants us to be generous to him, but he is waiting to be generous to us. What are some of the good gifts that God wants to give in our, into our lives? Well, number one, joy. Jesus says, Jesus says, give generously. And then, and then uh, later Paul says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus himself. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you know that joy of giving? that it's even greater than what he wants to give you, the gift of joy, when you get released from your self-indulgence, your self-centeredness, your self-focus, and, and you actually give to God um, out of a grateful heart. He will flood your heart with joy. He will bring you more joy. It's more blessed. You will get more joy in this act of giving. Secondly, abundance. We've already seen uh, sowing and reaping, but let me just read this passage, 2 Corinthians. Uh, these are all uh, good gifts that God wants to bring into our lives as we're released to be rich towards him. He says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, not once in a while or when you're in a jam, in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will, what, abound in every good work. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower, there's Paul saying, do you know, recognize where this comes from? It comes from God. He provides the seed. And bread for food, he will also supply and increase your store of seed because he's generous, because he gives abundantly. And he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. That as we're generous towards him, he is waiting to be generous towards us. Thirdly, eternal treasure. Jesus wants us to, to be wise and make deposits in things that go way beyond this life. And uh, as Jesus said, not to accumulate things that will rot and, and uh, disappear and evaporate with this life, but things that go into eternity to store up truth. That's his good desire for his disciples. Number four, spiritual growth. He wants you to grow to be like Jesus. We know from the scriptures again that God's ultimate plan for your life is to make you like Jesus, to make you conform to the image of his son. 
Who's the best giver you know? It's Jesus. Who's the most generous person you know? It's Jesus. And part of his desire, his life, his will for my life is that I would grow in generosity, that I would grow in, uh, in being able to free to give, give to God, give to others. And in that sense, to be more like Jesus, more like because he's the giver. For God so loved the world that he gave. He's a giver. Jesus so much loves you that what did he do? He gave. He gave his life. He gave everything. He gave totally out of his heart of love towards you. And that's why we're going to conclude with communion this morning, because these emblems, as simple as they are, they speak of the generosity of Christ's love for you personally. That he even took a body, that he came the king of heaven, the son of God, and he took a body, his blood and his flesh. But ultimately his mission was the cross. And he said, remember this, remember my love, remember the generosity of my love, the uh, sacrificial nature of my love. I gave everything for you. I saw you in your deepest spiritual need. And uh, I loved you with a love that is um, totally forgiving, totally sacrificial, totally powerful over death, has total power over the future. That's the kind of love I have for you. And remember that as you take the bread and remember my body and my blood spilled, that this was the love, this was the sacrifice I have for you. And uh, as I have loved you generously, live your life generously towards me. That's, he's looking for our hearts. So um, I'm going to invite you to take that little, uh, I know it's very simple, um, these uh, COVID days, we're just using a little wafer and a little cup of grape juice. If you haven't seen these before, you can peel off the top. There's a little wafer there that speaks of Jesus' body. That's the significance of it. And then uh, you can take the, the uh, cup, and um, in a moment, we're going to invite the worship team to come and lead us in, in uh, a song of worship. You can just express your heart of gratitude, your heart of appreciation to the Lord. And then I'll come back and lead us in a prayer, and we'll take communion together. Aloha, church family. Thank you so much for joining with us in worship this morning. We truly hope that you were refreshed and, and strengthened in your faith during these crazy pandemic days. We want, invite you to look at all of our messages. They're available on our YouTube channel. We'd also invite you to download our church app. It's just a great way for us to keep in touch, to communicate, also for you to receive materials. So uh, take advantage of downloading that church app. We would invite you to partner with us as we continue serving God faithfully during these days. You can give online, you can give on our website, uh, or mail a check into our street address. We really appreciate your support with that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord grant you peace. We love you. Aloha.